Hello, I'm Victoria. And I'm Johnny. Welcome to Tasty Pages. A podcast for people who love cookbooks, food, and cooking. Each week, we'll discuss a featured cookbook from our popular Cooking the Books Instagram page. We'll also discuss the dishes that we made and rank the book in a variety of categories. Including food photography and styling, degree of difficulty, and of course, taste. The conversation is always unscripted, unedited, and uncensored. Spoiler alert, Victoria likes to swear. (laughs) All of this takes place in our living room in the heart of Minneapolis. Oh yeah, we also have a featured show topic with contributions from our listeners, and we end each episode with a lame food-related joke. Usually very lame. Hey now. (laughs) Join Join us for for Tasty Tasty Pages. This week's featured cookbook is... In Praise of Veg by Alice Seslovsky. Hi, Johnny. Hey, Victoria. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Eh. Fair to Midland. That's that's not a, a, a ringing endorsement. No. <laughs> I'm I, sorry to hear that. That's okay. Well, you know, you're with me, and we're going to do this awesome podcast, so your mood will, will improve. I will muddle through. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, welcome. I'm such a ball of joy. Yep. It's okay. I got you. <laughs> All right. Uh, welcome to episode 82 of Tasty Pages, a podcast from Cooking the Books. If you go to our website, which is wecookbooks.com, and click on that store tab, that will direct you to our Amazon.com affiliate page. I uh, just updated that with some new items, so some fresh stuff on there. Um, we've got a few different lists, Kitchen Essentials for Home Cooks, uh, our favorite cookbooks, food photography and styling items, as well as some fun food finds. And if you make a purchase from any of those lists, uh, you'll get something that you were probably going to buy anyway. It won't cost you anything more. We'll get a few pennies as an Amazon affiliate. And it's probably the most immediate way that you can support what we're doing here at Tasty Pages. But we also do welcome gifts of designer wardrobes and rare bourbons. And we'll, we'll give you our shipping address and you can just send those in the mail. Right? Uh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, I wanted to tell my elevator story. I told this to you before. Okay. Okay. So the other day I was leaving for work and I get in the elevator and this woman is in there and she did look familiar. I wasn't like just imagining it or something. It looked like someone, like a resident that I had like met at some point and said hi to or something. And so, uh, you know, we're in the elevator and I, I tried to make small talk. So I said something like, you know, like, oh, hey, remind me again. What's your name? And she was like, uh, well, we've never met. So you don't know my name, but it's I think she said it was Allison or something. And then, of course, I felt like the creep that Way was to go, trying creep to like, show. yeah, like try to, you know, do a cheesy <laughs> pickup line or something. Cause I could just, you know, and then after the fact, I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. I thought that we had met before. So, and then I just silently and awkwardly rode. Creeper. You're a creeper. <laughs> I'm married to a creep. I, I swear I didn't mean it. She really did look familiar. But uh, yeah, so now she's probably like, yeah, that be, look out for that creepy old guy in the building. He'll, he'll try and hit on you. <laughs> All right. Um, I suppose we should talk about... Uh, what we're drinking? <laughs> Water. <laughs> <laughs> Minneapolis tap. <laughs> With some ice. <laughs> yeah, it's still kind of early, so it's it's a little bit too... When has that ever stopped <laughs> us? 
<laughs> but but yeah, in all seriousness, it's just kind of a, a lazy Saturday and I've got to work tonight. So there, there's no imbibing, at least not at the moment. Well, and we have dinner to make still, too. That is true. And uh, we're actually, that's a great segue because we're actually going to be doing another test run for our gluten-free pasta, which mm-hmm. is the first class that we'll be teaching at Cooks of Crocus Hill. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm excited about that. The first time was a success. So now we're going to kind of fine tune it and take some more detailed notes and whatnot. Yes. What book did we just finish up for the week? Oh, you're asking me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love you. I love you asking questions that you know the answer to. <laughs> mm-hmm. Makes for better conversation. <laughs> um, we just finished the Spanish Home Kitchen by Jose Pizarro. Pizarro. I believe that's trying to roll my R's. the first. I, there's been a few random Spanish cookbooks that have that have come through our hands in the past, and maybe we did like a dish or two out of. But I think this is the first one that I can recall that we did like a whole mm-hmm. weekly feature of. So that will be coming up shortly in our feed. We'd be remiss if we didn't discuss our uh, two visits to the Minnesota State Fair since we had been talking about it in previous episodes. We yep. actually made it out there twice. We went on opening day. Yeah, and then went uh, on, a little later. It, it runs for, I believe, what, 10 days Yeah. Um, this time of year. And we, we, we picked some nice weekday afternoons when the weather was pleasant, when we figured it wouldn't be as busy. Wasn't too crowded. And we just did some nice short but sweet trips, you know, four hours at a time or so, long enough to have a, a, a seltzer or two and eat some food. And well, pet some hogs. The website for the state fair, you can look up foods. I looked up gluten-free foods, so the, you know there was a list, a comprehensive list we of, prepared. of everything that was gluten-free and where it was located. We weren't just aimlessly wandering around. No. Well, we did some of that too. Yeah. But yeah, we found a great gluten-free food truck there. It was called Auntie M's. Here's the thing: I was so bummed out that I wouldn't be able to eat cheese curds at the fair. They had funnel cheese. Cakes? What they, about funnel cakes? Well. I always think I want a funnel cake. I've not had a funnel cake since I was a kid, but I'm always like, ooh. You were due. It was time. <laughs> yeah, I'm always like, ooh, I really want a funnel cake. But then, you know, my sense kicks in and I'm like, you don't need a funnel cake. So we got a funnel cake and it was delicious. It was. Um, so we got cheese curds, funnel cake, and corn dog. Corn dog. All gluten free, all, gl- all from the same mm-hmm. vendor. They probably were like, you gluttons were <laughs> placing that order. We were, we were not the only ones walking say, away with like yeah. three plates of to food. To be fair. Yeah. I'm sure they saw saw much, much more heroic eating going on <laughs> that day. And then, of course, there was uh, the smoked pork chop on a stick. Still, still my favorite. Still a classic. I ruined a shirt and <laughs> got a pork chop oh, injury. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Very brave journey you went on. <laughs> some of the, the you got squirted with some hot pork chop juice, right? The first bite I took it like squirted on my face and dribbled down my new well, white t-shirt. Um, next year when we visit, we'll be sure to bring safety glasses <laughs> and, and a, a bib, bib for you. Since since uh, since we we know now how you how you enjoy your pork chop out I there. I should know better than to wear white where I'm going to be in a situation where I'm eating. 
Uh, we had I had a good. Uh, it was called a Reuben roll, and mm-hmm. it was basically like a fried egg roll with all the flavors of a Reuben sandwich, and it was delicious. And then it had like a Thousand Island dripping dip dripping. It was a dripping sauce <laughs> and dipping sauce as well. Oh, and we had uh, Berea tacos. I think we talked about that on a previous episode. Mm-hmm. We actually found a vendor that was selling them there, and. They were they were quite delicious. Yes, we we got in some some good eating. I feel like there was there, I feel like there was one other thing that you ate that I couldn't eat, but maybe not. That's what I had on my list, but okay. I, I guess maybe it was kind of something that was unremarkable. All right, and I love the animals. Here's I'm such a I'm such a jackass because I I feel like I'm like Doctor Doolittle. I'm petting all the animals and letting them lick yeah, my I mean, hands. You were practically cuddling up with a cow, <laughs> it was so treating cute. it like the the family pet or something. Oh, and, and it was the, so adorable. And these these rural kids from from you know somewhere out in the sticks in Minnesota were probably like, oh, fucking city dwellers city folk <laughs> but cuddling with a cow oh cows are sweet they, they are very sweet they're very gentle animals and we had just and missed they taste good too yes we had just missed a cow being born this calf had did we though <laughs> did we miss it we we saw it one year and it was really cool it made me cry actually oh i'm like Ooh. the miracle of life yes well yeah that's all I have That's to our s- state first. <laughs> and then we went into the building where they had all the different uh, baked goods. There was like just this enormous collection of like pies, cakes, cookies, bars. And I've never been in that building no. before. So it was. Pickled stuff, mm-hmm. honeys, maple mm-hmm. syrups. It was like a maker's building. Yeah. Because there was knitting, there was sewing, there was um, woodworking. That building had it all. Yes. But th- that, was a, that was a fun visit. Mm-hmm. I, I, I was very happy with our, with our two visits to the fair. It, it, it scratched that itch that I had. Well, and then this morning he hits me with, you good on the fair? Yeah. I, you want to go again? I would have like, been willing to go again. No. I think that was enough. I mean, the crowds weren't like overwhelming, but... Yeah. It was, it was still enough crowds, and but I tell you, the people watching is great. I, I feel you. <laughs> oh, before we go any further, I, I I wanted to throw this out there at you and get your reaction because uh, I found this uh, this BuzzFeed article. Wait, you want to get my reaction? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So it's, so it's this BuzzFeed article. Uh, so you know it's legit, and it's it it, it was like. Uh, People are sharing the most useless kitchen hacks that actually make cooking way harder than it needs to be. (laughs) (laughs) And so a lot of these were inspired by, you know, apparently there's these viral TikTok videos of of kitchen hacks. But in, you know, when you upon closer inspection, they're kind of stupid and bullshit. Like, you know, a lot of stuff on BuzzFeed. Uh, (laughs) So the the first one that I that I selected was uh, basically any garlic peeling hack. They just don't work. Just smack the clove with a knife and you can wiggle the skin off. Right? <laughs> I think at one point in time we had that little rubber tube that you put the garlic cloves and in. You and you roll it. like roll it. And then you have this thing taking up room in your kitchen drawer for... So the, useless. Yeah. Let's see. There was another one. Making frothy milk for coffee using an empty foaming hand soap bottle. What? Yeah. Apparently that's a thing. I mean, I, I'm assuming you rinse it out really well. You don't want 
foaming hand soap in your coffee but it, but they said just buy a milk frother they're ten dollars at target and they do a much better job oh my gosh but uh yeah leave it to someone you know and so then what do you do have this like empty hand soap bottle thing just hanging out in your kitchen and you'll be like oh no that's my milk frother <laughs> don't throw that away don't recycle it there was another one I've seen people use a cheese grater to peel off stems of cilantro through the holes. <laughs> Pick the leaves off. Yeah. Come on now. God, can you imagine so they're fussing, like trying to poke the stem <laughs> through the holes of a cheese grater just so you could like strip off the leaves? Like in the time it took you to do that, I could have like probably picked off leaves from three or four stems. Right. So just, just don't do it. And then uh, cooking food in the dishwasher. Okay, that is so gross. Come on. This trend started in the 70s, and now it's a TikTok sensation. But it's always been and remains to be stupid. <laughs> uh, yeah, apparently you, like people will cook vegetables in the dishwasher and stuff. Like, how is that any kind of shortcut or any kind of like time-saving hack? Well, look at how much water you're wasting. Yeah, there, there is that, That's too. like a Kramer from Seinfeld uh, preparing his salads in the shower while, he, <laughs> while he's bathing. And then the last one I have is uh, there's a new hack in which you use a cooling rack to dice things like avocado, mango, hard-boiled eggs. <laughs> And it says, all I can say is whoever came up with this has either never cleaned a cooling rack or just doesn't own a knife. <laughs> right? I mean, it's not sharp. You'll just end up like squashing everything. It would seem that way. Oh, and I can't, I can't imagine, people. I can't imagine looking at a cooling rack and being like, yeah, I'm going to cut some vegetables yeah. with well, that. What that also reminds me of is uh, there there would always be things like when we subscribe to Cook's Illustrated magazine, there would always be things like that within the pages where you know, like reader submissions where they'd yes. be like, oh, Dawn from Cookie Crumb Creek, Missouri sends us this kitchen hack. And it would always be something like that where it, it was like kind of a useless trick or something that involved like way more work than if you just did it the tried and true way so well you know you i guess there is more than one way to skin a cat yeah that's, that's such a horrible saying <laughs> my is. grandma always used to like <laughs> my grandma always used to say that and that's terrible what are you gonna do uh i suppose we should talk about our show question Oh, yeah. Here we go. What essential skills do you think every beginner cook should possess? This is kind of timely since we're going to be beginning cooking classes again. Let's share our listener submissions. Well, can we just say most people said knife skills <laughs> instead of going down the list? Because sure. pretty much 80% of the people said knife skills. But there's a, there's a few others that we can we can share. Sure. Some other people chimed in. Um, Betty R said, "Growth mindset, failing equals learning." That's true. Don't be afraid to fail. That is true. And I think that actually goes. I'll share my answers in a second. But I did have one one thing that I mentioned was, I think too often people look at cooking as like a pass fail activity Agreed. whereas there's varying degrees of success so maybe it didn't turn out exactly the way that you had hoped but if it's still edible and you learn something in the process win-win you know yeah well but it's not like uh it either turns out or it didn't 
Well, and I feel like sometimes people are expecting perfection. Right. And... Or they think it should look exactly like the photo in a cookbook or... I mean, I still... I still struggle with that. Yeah. But, you know. No, I, 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 I totally get it. Uh, Mike T said, a sense of smell. Yeah. A lot of people lost it when they got COVID. Right? So, you know, it's kind of important. Nancy M said, how to follow a recipe. Well, and, and uh, along with that is also, you know, hopefully the recipe is well written and easy to follow and understand. True. Because that's not always the case. Um, what else we got? Miss. 0705 said to use a scale. That's a good one. Mm-hmm. What do you have for your picks? Kind of curious to hear. M- mine is knife skills. Yeah. Well, and I think also using, knowing when to use the correct tool for the correct job. True. Like, <laughs> so I don't use a paring knife to cut a squash? Yes. Oh, okay. Don't, know. don't use a steak knife to butcher a raw piece of fish. Oh, okay. <laughs> now you tell me. <laughs> Anything else? Uh, no. So I, I went in a little different direction. I, I don't disagree that knife skills are important. I don't think you have to be like, you know, like uh, a chef at Benihana level. Right. For because there's plenty of people that get by with limited knife skills, myself included. So I, I went in a few different directions. Proper seasoning. I think so many people do not season their food properly when they're cooking at home. And then they wonder why when they go to a restaurant or something, it always tastes like better, quote mm-hmm. unquote. And it's like because they probably properly season it in mm-hmm. most cases. Using a meat thermometer when, when appropriate you cannot do the like oh you feel your inside of your thumb and your hand like the, most people are not that intuitive where they're going to be able to accurately tell when something is at the correct temperature or properly cooked just use a meat thermometer there's well, no shame yeah. in that i feel like that's a point of pride for people like yeah. i i can tell when this meat is it, cooked. it's always dudes but the, it's always dudes work in the grill i mean i get it if you are a line cook at like at a steakhouse or something where you're cooking the same piece of meat sure. hundreds of times then a it day. becomes intuition yes. but most people are not going to have no that. uh weighing baking ingredients whenever possible most cookbooks these days will provide both the volume and weight measurements and it's always surprising to me how much they will often differ the the weighted ones are going to be far more accurate Mm -hmm. and consistent um but i still think a lot of people are just married to the idea of like a cup of this quarter cup of this Mm -hmm. tablespoon of that mise en place okay that is a good one such an important one because i think a lot of people and i'm guilty of this sometimes myself too is you just dive into a recipe without having everything kind of prepped and and maybe you didn't even like read the entire recipe before you dove into it and then you're kind of setting yourself up to fail or 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 you're you know then you've got something that's on the stove and cooking and you need to add something else that you don't yet have prepped and it just becomes really a stressful activity when it when it shouldn't be 
Um, and along those lines, I think time management and tasting your food. There's so, and that kind of goes back to seasoning. But there are so many people that just cook something, and you're like, "Did you taste this? Yeah, you know, like right? taste as you go and adjust if needed, because you could probably correct a lot of." deficiencies in a dish if you just tasted it like if if it doesn't taste good to you during the process make those adjustments because you know do you really want to serve it to people without tasting it and knowing that it tastes good no you do not <laughs> look at you you've got all these good answers I, and i'm like well, i'm like dirt knife skills it was only inspired because so many people mentioned knife skills and i thought that that was almost oversimplifying it it's like yes it's it's kind of a given that that's important but I don't think it's as important as some people were kind of making it out to be. See, I, I think he, you could get by with some limited knife skills. Well, here's here's part of the thing for me with knife skills. For me, a lot of that is like cutting safely. Yes. Because you got a bunch of fingers out there. They're going to get. I mean, how many times have we encountered dull knives amongst our friends or family? And I, and I think it's just because keeping your knives sharp and, and well-maintained are probably not things that a lot of people think about. They mm-hmm. just are using the same knives that they received as like a wedding gift 20 years ago mm-hmm. <laughs> and they've never been sharpened. And it's almost counterintuitive, but like a sharp knife is far safer to use than some it's really a lot easier to knife. work with. Too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's where most kitchen injuries happen involving knives is when people use a really dull knife and then they're trying to cut into that squash or something and it slips and mm-hmm. suddenly you just have nine fingers. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Should we talk about this book? Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. So this was a very exhaustive, comprehensive collection. 450 pages, over 150 recipes organized by color and covering 50 different vegetables. This is the cookbook equivalent of a 12-pound baby, Victoria. Think of that for a second. 12-pound baby. (laughs) I don't want to think of a 12-pound baby. Uh, It's also a very timely book because uh, our farmer's market visits in Minneapolis and... uh, a neighbor who gifted us some items from a CSA box were uh, were happening while uh, we dove into this book. Mm-hmm. Um, we also had our community garden plot that was providing us with a lot of fresh herbs and edible flowers and some other items. Perfect for the arrival of summer here in Minneapolis. We could probably continue cooking through this book for several more weeks. Yeah, totally. Uh, it's it's quite a companion and it's it's definitely found a place on our permanent shelf i also just added this one to that uh cookbooks list on amazon so oh any, i was gonna ask any, you what you added any listeners you... that are looking for maybe something to uh gift themselves or others go ahead and check that out christmas is coming up in a few months <laughs> <laughs> it's never too early start thinking about it uh okay why don't you Give us a little list of what we made, and then we'll discuss them in more detail. All right. First up, we have a fennel and tomato panzanella with homemade ricotta. Next is KFC, clear and fried cauliflower with coconut chutney. I see what you did there. (laughs) Uh, Then we have blender beet brownies. Triple B. Triple B. Uh, Blonde minestrone with white pepper. And BLT salad with Avoli. All right. Avioli. Avoli. Avoli, I believe. <laughs> okay. Fennel tomato panzanella with homemade ricotta. 
this was a good one. This has only been the second time that I've done this, but I made ricotta cheese and I actually used goat's milk. Twas easy. It was easy. Um, all you have to do is, well, this this uh, ricotta had some fennel in it. So I ground up some fennel really fine into a fine powder with the mortal and pestle, added it to the goat milk, bring it just to a boil. Then you squeeze in some lemon juice, let it let it separate, let it, it curdles, let it curdle for like 30 minutes, then strain it out. Remember that show called, or uh, the movie called Curdled that we watched a few times where it was like the crime scene cleanup thing? Yes. That was great. It's, it's probably out there to stream. And, and I think Quentin Tarantino was like an executive producer or somehow responsible for kind of like bringing it. Well, the woman who uh, starred in it played Esmeralda the cab driver in... Uh, Pulp Fiction? Yes. Yeah. Uh, just a random thought. It was it was a good one. Kind um, of a dark comedy. Yes. Uh, let's see. The panzanella for for croutons. Uh, we had talked about this before, but we got this uh, sourdough bread from a gluten free bakery. Oh yeah, that's that was right. really expensive and not very good. It didn't make good bread, but it made great croutons. And we used it for croutons for something else too. Um, I remember now. It's all world's to me. most expensive croutons. They were. I mean, if you like texture in your food. This dish has it all. There was lots going on. Yeah, it had a crunch. Crunch because there's a little seed situation happening. Sesame seeds and caraway seeds that gets <laughs> Johnny's rubbing my feet under the table. Woo! Thanks, baby. Better than rubbing something else <laughs> under the table. <laughs> Right? <laughs> Comedy is nonstop in this place. Um, yeah, so this had, you know, basil. We threw in some edible flowers, lots of delicious fresh tomatoes. Yeah. And fennel. Yeah. Can't forget the fennel. The fennel was from our CSA box. I, I love stuff like this. And and the fact that it's got the, the croutons added makes it a little bit more substantial of a salad. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you very well can can make this just for like a light dinner or something which is i think how we enjoyed it mm-hmm. it was great should we talk kfc yes all right so this is what this was like a fried cauliflower dish that had a companion coconut chutney mm-hmm. so it was, it was kind of like a meatless riff on popcorn chicken mm-hmm. using cauliflower yep and uh the coating, this got coated in a batter made of chickpea flour and rice flour. Um, and the coating was nice and light because you add cold soda water to it. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like a temp- tempura. Mm-hmm. That gets fried. The coconut chutney was just, it was coconut, cumin, tamarind, curry leaves. Well, we didn't have curry leaves. We have a curry plant that we planted that we mm-hmm. used some of that. And that was more of a paste that got like spread on the plate. And How did you feel about it? I didn't love it. Yeah, I'm I'm weird about coconut flavors in savory dishes. Yeah. It's, it's always a little odd to me because that's never where my mind really goes mm-hmm. concerning coconut. I like coconut fine enough in, in like dessert items, but... For something like this, a, a coconut chutney, it was, it was kind of a miss for me as well. But we did have a chili yogurt that we also served it with. Yeah, the recipe the recipe suggests just you know serving it with some plain yogurt as well. But mm-hmm. we spiced it up a little bit through a little harissa or chili or something in yes. it. Yes, but overall it was 
pretty delicious. I ain't going to be mad at eating popcorn chicken adjacent food. <laughs> <laughs> it's oh, not the same Walmart. as popcorn chicken, but it, 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 it satisfied that it's, craving. I, I love I love fried cauliflower. Yeah, it was good. Should we talk triple B? Yes. All right. So this was interesting because we got some beets they were from the a CSA box. They were the Kyoga beets, which are the striped ones. Right. And not, not the regular traditional beet, which the recipe calls for, but... I hate working with beets. They're very messy. They are. Talk about wearing a white shirt. You don't want to be doing that when preparing beets and right? cooking those up and peeling them and whatnot. And I do think that the purple beets... Might have would have enhanced the color a little bit. Would have like brought it a little bit darker. Absolutely. But you know, I I feel like the purple ones in particular, and we've discussed this before. Like they have a very assertive, like earthy flavor. Mm -hmm. Or if I'm being not generous, uh, they taste like dirt. Yeah. And I just I'm not personally a fan of that flavor profile and it's funny because i used to love i really used to love beets and yeah. over time i've just kind of like fallen out of love with them and and i'm the same way like that combined with just how messy they are to prepare mm-hmm. just kind of discourages me from really doing much with them when like when we run across recipes usually if i see that it has beets in it i'm like I just nah. kind of like lazily i'm like nah. pass <laughs> But these these were good. I um, really enjoyed these. Yeah. So the beets get you you boil the beet with a whole orange mm-hmm. that gets. It's funny because this was like the second time in as many months that I've boiled an orange. That I boiled like <laughs> citrus for baking stuff, and I'd yeah. never. It's and it I, goes a long time, huh? It, yes. It's it's it, it was a totally new technique to me, which. I mean, the first time I did it. So, so do, you, do you know what boiling the citrus does? It, remo- it? it removes the bitterness. Okay. Um, and that way you can you you can use it all. Does so it like, make the flavor more concentrated, or like like no, not necessarily it at all. Well, I don't know. I didn't try and eat it after it was boiled. Okay. So I couldn't tell you. I was just curious, like um, if it kind of focuses the flavor or concentrates it or something more i i think you do get like the full fruit flavor without the bitterness yes okay um makes sense yeah so those those two things end up getting uh blended up in a blender the whole thing was made in a blender i believe because this this was definitely all you making this although i did i did i dehydrate some beets i can't remember but we did have some little reserved beet slices that we dehydrated in our in our instant pot and decorated them on top and they looked like little cute flowers little striped flowers they did yes this whole this whole thing i had to refresh my memory the batter was made in in the blender pretty easy mhm and they they freeze really well so we enjoyed these for a, f- a few weeks afterwards and- yes uh, and one thing to note about this recipe is that it's supposed to be more like lava cake, like gooey. I let mine yes. go a little bit further. Get those crispy edges. So Yeah. And so that I could slice them up. But it was still, it, they were really fudge-like. 
And if you pair it with some uh, potting soil ice cream, really delicious. <laughs> it's perfect. Perfect companion for it. So gross. Um, all right. Blonde minestrone, or as I like to say, minestrone. Minestrone. With white pepper. This had a lot of veggies in it. It did. Yeah, it was good. Uh, yeah, it had onion, garlic, fennel, kale, potatoes, some Parmesan. I think this was actually my favorite recipe from the book. The The soup was so... I just remember like biting into it and it was very satisfying biting and, and like you bite into soup <laughs> <laughs> you never know depends on who is prepping those vegetables if johnny was doing it you might get like a whole carrot in there or something oh whatever um but and and the leftovers the following day i were think were even, even better yeah, yeah. As, as is you know the all, often the case with soup um, this was another uh, like beneficiary of our, our, our CSA box that uh-huh. our neighbor gifted us that week. And so we had some kale in there and some fennel that went into the soup. It was great. Basically, we took that CSA box and we looked through the book to see what what we could use from the CSA box. And that that basically determined all of our recipe selections from this book. And because of the way the book is organized, it's very easy to look up uh, specific vegetables. Mm-hmm. And, and I know that was a conscious kind of design and layout choice by the author, you know, because she was hoping people would kind of use this as like a companion for like a farmer's market visit or a CSA. So we'll, we'll get into that with our rankings. I'm getting ahead of ourselves. Anything else to say with this? I with have to say... Nice, I Nice white pepper amount. Well, yeah, I was going to say, because white pepper kind of... It smells kind of like hay to me and yeah. tastes the same way. Yeah. And I think if you tend to use a lot of it, it can overrun it can overrun the flavor of the yeah. dish. And that didn't happen. So nice balance. Yes. And then lastly, we did a BLT salad with avoli. <laughs> or avocado aioli, I guess. So the book kind of described this as like a sandwich salad. It was like all the flavors of a BLT in, in a salad, salad form. But we went and took it a, a, st- a step further. We had some expensive croutons to use up. Yes, we did. So we threw so we actually threw some croutons in there. Um, and if I'm being honest, that was kind of a missed opportunity on the author's it, part. Like it to, was. You, know, you got to throw that bread component in there. Um, and this was another one that was really easy to make. You cook up your bacon, throw some tomatoes and scallions in a bowl. They get tossed with a little bit of red wine vinegar. Hey, you and, want to remind everyone how you feel about mayo? Oh, God. Yeah, and we didn't use mayo for... <laughs> um, I thought you were going to say it was bullshit. It's bullshit. Like mayo and ranch. <laughs> According to Victoria, they're bullshit. For the avocado aioli, we used avocados, garlic, parsley, liquid from the tomatoes that had been... like the pic- the The pickling liquid from the tomatoes. And then we used some yogurt. Instead of mayo. Instead of mayo, because mayo is bullshit. And... If you want this to be vegetarian, you can substitute some tempeh for the bacon. If you do that, I'm afraid we can't be friends. <laughs> well, and I can't eat it. <laughs> I guess you'd have to do something about that uh, yogurt or mayo situation as well. But yeah, but right. It could be. It could easily be made vegan. Yeah. Without too much adjustment. Okay. Well, I'm excited to discuss our rankings. But before we do that, let's per usual. Discuss the most critical Amazon reviews. I found a couple of them. I thought they were worth sharing. 
Which one do you want to do? I'll do the first one. Okay, the short, short one. Oh, okay. <laughs> As if I'm not talking enough. Because I'm being lazy. <laughs> That's okay. Take it away. <laughs> All right. This one is from Susan Billington. She gave it a one out of five stars. Wasn't what I expected. Very thick and heavy book with not a lot of substance. Oh, this book is too heavy for me. Oh. <laughs> Not a lot of substance. I know. What book was she reading? (laughs) Did you get nothing but substance? Did did you get a book full of blank pages? I don't know. I don't understand it. Uh, Border Reaver gave it two out of five stars. Again, too bulky for a small kitchen. It must be a really small kitchen if it doesn't have room for a cookbook in it. Um, If it were recipes alone, I would give this book a three or a four. Quantities for recipes are giving for both American and metric cooks. The types of veg are organized by color. However, there is far too much information for one book, which means that it's rather too unwieldy for my small kitchen and won't fit into a cookbook stand. Should have made it into two volumes per Nigel Slater. Um, I guess they're probably referring to the Green, Green Feast, Feast books. books. This person must be um, British, and they have very small kitchens. Yeah, well, and the author is Australian, so uh, I, I, I can understand some of their concerns. Uh, the shriekingly discordant color of the visually cluttered cover gives some clue as to the unattractive 70s artwork inside. Don't hold back. Let us know how you really feel. Luckily, the recipes are not printed on color and the font is reasonable. However, the introduction to each section is printed on colored paper, very visually taxing to read. The writing style is a a little bit too shouty and full-on for me to enjoy. I find this useful as a reference book, but such a weighty and discordant tome is an uneasy kitchen companion. That was a lot. Hmm. I mean, it, you will notice the size uh, and thickness of the book upon browsing through it, but I guess it didn't bother me or even I didn't consider that it might be a little bit too unwieldy to like use in the kitchen. So, yeah. Noted. <laughs> um, let's move on to our rankings. Food photography and styling. What'd you have, Victoria? I gave it a 4.5. Ooh. Um, let's see. What can I say about this? Well, there is a mix of overhead and 45 degree angles. Uh, and this felt very light and airy to me. There were only a few photos that had actual dark backgrounds. Hmm. And there was um, multiple usages. Usages? Sure. Sure. <laughs> uses? Uses. <laughs> I do um, like usages, though. <laughs> we're we're going to just start using that. Um. Several times there there were these um, tiles. It was like a... It kind of looked like vintage bathroom tile, mm-hmm. like I would find in my grandma's house. Okay. <laughs> um, pastel colors. I really love the way that looks. Okay. Hopefully oh. they weren't using actual bathroom tiles <laughs> to display the food. <laughs> um, let's see. What else? The styling was very simple, but also... Um, kind of hearty like you could tell that the food is being dug into Mm -hmm. or there's like hands going Mm -hmm. also i feel like the exposure was just a titch up a little bit okay like a little tiny bit blown out but it wasn't enough to it wasn't enough to be like whoa that's 
I think it kind of added to the lightness okay. of the photos. Sure. So I feel like it fit very well. The food all looked super appetizing. Mm-hmm. Really good use of colors. The color theory in the photos was really good. Mm-hmm. 4.5. 4.5. Okay. I gave it a five. Okay. I thought this was uh, where this book really excelled. Uh, photos by, are by uh, Ben Dernley, who's a UK-based, I believe, stylist and food photographer. Um, I noted that all the photos had kind of a cool temperature to them, I felt. Like a, you know, yeah. Cool, and I feel cool like, temperature. yeah, that kind of like, maybe it's that rather than like the exposure. Yeah. I think that's what I'm seeing. Well, and that, and that kind of, that also factors in with like the, the use of the linens and props mm-hmm. and, and dishware and stuff that, that lended at that kind of cool temperature. Lots of hand action photos. I, I know that's a common thing to feature in cookbooks, but this one had like kind of an unusually large amount of them where, you know, someone is holding something or serving something or... There was like, a weird photo with the baby hand. Yeah. <laughs> it was with uh, some kind of flatbread. Yeah, why is that and, baby trying to yeah, snatch yeah, the bread? Yeah. It was a little, little disheartening <laughs> to see this little tiny infant hand in there, but it, I believe that was probably the author's uh, child, but it was... It was it was great. Um, most photos are of the completed dish, but then they will also feature things like linens, utensils, garnishes, maybe a side dish or a, a tray on the side. So very well styled and lots of uh, kind of stray crumbs scattered mm-hmm. about, which gave it that kind of like unfussy, like rustic look, you know, kind of inviting, made you want to like dig right into it. So I, I had no problem with the food photography. I, I thought it was... it. it Served its purpose. It was very, very appealing. Okay. So five. Design and layout, what'd you give it? I gave it a 4.5. Okay. Oh, look at me. I know. Using the half points. Chapters are divided by the vegetable color and then the specific vegetable, 50 in total, going along with that whole eat the rainbow concept. Very useful if you have a CSA or if you shop frequently at the farmer's market. She made a very conscious choice to not make this seasonal. Yes. Although there is a seasonal index in the back, if you need to refer to that, or alphabetical. So the concept that she also had was the five S's. So that includes soups, sauces, stews, salads, and sandwiches. And so that was kind of the overarching theme of of the book where it would give you these options to make those five S's using the vegetables. Clever use of leftovers or alternative uses for the ingredients when time and energy are in short supply so that she would have like recommendations on what you could do with those extras. There is a pantry essentials section which I find largely unnecessary but perhaps useful since this book is aimed at kind of home cooks and beginner cooks. Mm. So it didn't bother me as much as it usually does. Each ingredient has a really nice illustration at the beginning of the section. Do you know who that was? Did it say? Uh, The illustrator's name is Vera Babita. Okay. Good Good that they got some shout outs. Good that they got some love. There's notes on buying and storing, preparing and cooking, 
as well as like health benefits and what to do with scraps, etc., for each vegetable, which mm-hmm. I thought was very useful, mm-hmm. especially for some of the things that you might not be as familiar with. The recipe head notes are a joy to read. The serving size, but no prep or cook times are listed in the recipes. Each recipe has a tip section. The I'm going to use a, a book publishing term. The fore edge of the book has the rainbow of colors uh, for the chapters. So if you look at the edge of that book opposite the spine, it's got the, the colors. The color of the vegetable, yeah. Yep. It's got a register, a.k.a. page marker, a little ribbon. We always, we always appreciate that in mm-hmm. a cookbook. The back matter of the book contains a page of recommended reading in categories such as uh, culinary reference, fresh, quick, and easy cooking, food writing, or chefy books, quote unquote, to flex your culinary muscles. And then there was a little couple books recommended for particularly cooking for babies. So if you want to do any advanced study or reading, the author generously offers some suggestions on kind of some of her favorites in those categories. And then there is a QR code in the very back that links to the author's website and there's like a little video with like a personal intro where she's just kind of introducing herself and hi, thanks for purchasing my book, blah, blah, blah. That was a nice touch. Yeah. For the uh, technically savvy, they can scan the QR code. Um, My only critique of this book is that it's an exhaustive companion and maybe a little bit overwhelming for some readers because there is a lot packed in these pages. Yes. There's a lot of information. And so that kind of alludes to those Amazon reviews that we shared. Depending on what your personal preferences are, it might be a little bit much. But I think this is a great reference for vegetables to keep in your collection. Mm-hmm. What would you have? I gave it a 4.5 as well. Awesome. God, you said a lot of the stuff that I had written down. I said a lot. Uh, one thing that you missed at the beginning... There is this chart. It's called the Veggie Matrix. It's a, it's for cooks who like kind of want to freestyle rather than follow a recipe. So it lists the vegetable, and then there are different preparations, like preparations for when you're in a hurry, or what if you want it like a light and bright flavor. Mm-hmm. You want to like put it on and forget about it, and then you want a flavor bomb. There was also a section on the heat spectrum, like different methods of cooking the vegetables mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. oh and the the title pages like uh for the color of vegetables mm-hmm. in the illustration it would have all of the veggies contained within that color group and then for each individual like say you're at white and you, so the page has cauliflower garlic etc mm-hmm. and then for each of the individual Vegetables. They also get their own little illustration, mm-hmm. which I think is super cute. Yeah. And you had mentioned that uh, there was also a section where it talks about buying and storing. Some of the uh, vegetables also had tips on like how to clean them, like the celery root. It's super gnarly, and right, right, um, right. You know, a lot of people are like, "How do I get it clean?" Um, so there's tips for that. Now, this book is packed with a lot of photos, um, so it's not short on that, but not every recipe has a companion photo. I mean, no. this book would be twice as thick if that were the case, so just worth mentioning. But I don't think anyone's going to be missing food photos. Yeah. There's a lot. 
Um, let's see. I thought the font size was good. This book did what I like, which is where instead of listing, you know, the entire ingredient list, right. the ingredients for each component were listed separately for that component. I think that's um, just good recipe writing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's nice when people do it correctly. Um, when they don't, that's when you run into those kind of things where it's just a big, long, confusing list. Right. On the bottom of the page, there would be like tips or shortcuts or if it was possible, like suggestions on how to make it vegan or vegetarian or, you know, Mm -hmm. just simple substitutions uh, to accommodate dietary restrictions. Yeah. That's anything else. That's it. All right. Uh, Degree of difficulty. I gave it a two. Okay. The recipes are fairly short. Mm-hmm. And the ones that are longer, usually it's just spices and herbs and seeds or what have you. Right. Most recipes have no no more than two components. Like there will be the main dish and a sauce. Right. Or I would feel, I mean, I feel like this book is definitely made for a kind of a novice beginner mm-hmm. cook. Um, so yeah, I gave it a two. Okay. I gave it a three. Okay. I think it largely depends on the recipe. Most of them, like you said, are pretty easy to execute. But there are a few things like, um, for instance, there was a gluten-free rhubarb and apple crumble that involves a few steps. So you have to make a creme anglaise and you have to make a crumble. Not necessarily difficult, but it's requiring some basic skills and then some some time management and just some, some different steps. I think the lack of prep and cook times is kind of a missed opportunity because that would help someone better navigate this book, kind of know what you're getting into. Before I agree. You, die, you know, like, and, that, and, that, and I, I wish at this point in time, like everyone would do that because it would just be like an extra line in the recipe. Like, hey, this is going to take 30 minutes to make or this is going to take an hour to make, at least giving you some idea because otherwise you got to take the time to read through the individual recipes and kind of gauge like how easy or difficult it looks. I agree. And I didn't mention that, that I like didn't mention that that was missing on the, yeah. in the design and layout. But, part. I mean, for the most part, I think all the recipes are, are pretty simple home cooking type of things, but uh, there, there were a few that might require a little bit more, more time or effort or steps. Um, and then lastly, taste. What'd you give it? I gave it a five. Okay. The recipes all seem well-tested and free of any unnecessary ingredients. I thoroughly enjoyed what we made. And and it was just a very timely book to have on hand when we were diving deep into the into the farmer's market and the, and the CSA baskets. Mm-hmm. So what'd you have? I gave it a five as well. I have to say, if you were trying to like go vegetarian... This would be a gr- this would be such a great book for it. I agree because it completely celebrates the vegetable. Mm-hmm. Like I know when I first went vegetarian in high in high school, macaroni and cheese, French fries, <laughs> like it just I had a bullshit diet, you know, yep. because I didn't quite quite you, you know how to do it. So, and I think <laughs> this or this book this book is also great for people who think they don't like vegetables. Tell that to my mom. Oh, my God. (laughs) You know, like there are people, you know, well, it's happened to us where. My mom likes uh, cans of cream corn and cans of green beans. Oh, 
canned That's it. green beans. You know, so yes, you have canned green beans. You grow up thinking like green beans are, you know, as an adult, you're like, those were disgusting. Yep. Let's see what else. Uh, I feel like we didn't have to do a lot of adjusting. Like no. all the spice levels were great, and the flavors were hum- harmonious. And um, I really like this book. Yeah, it goes without saying. This one's staying in our yes, collection. Yes, it is. Not one that we're getting rid of. Um, all right, we have reached the gastro obscura portion of the show, exploring the weird and wonderful culinary traditions, experiences, and ingredients. You have not revealed where we're going this week. We, so it's going to be a surprise to me as well. Yes, we are in Africa, in Burkina Faso, and we are talking about the Miracle Berry. Whoa. Yes. Do tell. So it's this little berry, and it tastes like a cran, uh, of like a bland cranberry. A bland berry. A bland berry. Um, however, eating one can alter the taste of sour foods to turn them very sweet. So is it really sweet, the berry? No, it tastes like a bland cranberry. Oh. So it's, it's but it's crazy. A bland that cranberry it, is like not super tart. It's kind of dry tasting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a protein in this berry called miraculin that binds to your taste buds and it lingers on the sweet receptors. And so it affects the sweet receptors so that they'll only activate uh when sour foods are introduced. I saw the sweet receptors open up for the pixies. <laughs> First Avenue, back in like 99. (laughs) Great show. Anyway. Oh, my God. Um, So in recent times, and it's mostly Americans that are doing this, by the way, uh, there have been these things called flavor tripping parties. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus Christ. And what people will do is they'll eat the berries, and then loads of sour foods are served so they become sweet. Like serve someone lemon, but it's like they're drinking lemonade. Or uh, serve someone goat cheese, and it's like eating cheesecake. If you're hosting a flavor tripping party, it sounds like the same people that are probably like chopping avocados with a cooling rack. <laughs> um, one thing, though, the berry must be consumed fresh because cooking it deactivates. Heat will deactivate. Cancels it. Yes. You're canceled. Yes. All right. Um, and the berry also has some medicinal uses because diabetics can use that miraculin um, to experience sweet foods without ingesting sugar. Interesting. Yes. And it also, apparently it also gives chemo patients a fuller spectrum of taste. It enhances their, their taste. Wow. Yes. Imagine that. Mm-hmm. Well... All right. That was a good one. Thanks. So if you enjoyed the show, please rank and review us. You can follow us on our socials. Our Instagram is at we underscore cook underscore books. And our Facebook is at we cook books. All right. Per usual, I invested a lot of time in researching and and selecting the finest of food related jokes for this show. Mm -hmm. And I got a few vegetable ones here. Sure. In keeping with the theme. All right. All right. Uh, What's the difference between broccoli and cauliflower? Cauliflower is just broccoli that's seen a ghost. <laughs> Come on. That doesn't make sense. Sure. Cauliflower is broccoli that's seen a ghost. <laughs> Here, I'll draw you a picture. <laughs> I don't. I, no, I like literally don't understand. Ooh, I made this one up. 
So this, I'll, uh, this this will fare better. Okay. This, this this will have you. Do you in the do gut. you promise? Yep. Okay. Did you hear about the vegetarian couple who were married on a farm? You might say it was a fairy kale wedding. <laughs> <laughs> You're so corny. It was cute. It was cute. Oh, corny. Hey. <laughs> followed up with a, with a, oh, a joke of a response. I did that. Yeah. Wow! Look at me. Victoria's first food-related joke. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a fantastic week. Stay safe. Stay hungry.